Oh, welcome back to another little thrivecast. I've got a, um, well, he's a very special guest for me anyway, but um, I've got my brother from another mother, the mountain man, some of you might know him as, but uh, very good friend and long-time hunting partner, um, Jamie Carl. We wanted to have a chat with him over this for, for a little while, but we've got busy lives and have managed to tie the man down. So uh, welcome, Jimmy. Yeah, thanks, Andre. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to, um, you know, it was, it, was probably, it was probably a timely thing doing this little podcast, but also just a good chance to share with people some of the um, stories from our past. I know you and I have both done some podcasts in recent time talking about hunting and this and that. And I just thought, you know what, it'd be good to actually get, get me old mate on, uh, on here and actually talk about it, talk about some of the stuff that I've witnessed myself, but probably some other people would like to get some backstories on maybe. But um, I mean, the obvious talking point to start off would be sort of going back to our early days. Like I've known Jamie, what, since we were probably eight or nine years old. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, school in, uh, in Hamilton. Yeah, that's it. And, and I guess um, hunting's something that we started doing in our late teens and we've been doing ever since. And it's probably fair to say I've spent more time on the mountain than with, with than any other person, probably than the, the, this man I'm talking to right now. So I guess a good starting point probably for everybody would be like to go back to sort of hark back and sort of wind back the clock to maybe our like sort of late teens, uh, maybe our 20s and our sort of uni days. And I'd, I'll be... I'll be interested to hear like from you and you, you we've talked about this numerous occasions on the hill and at home, like um, how it shaped you, like what, what's some sort of insight into those, those formative years if you'd like for our hunting, like how it's sort of shaped how you hunt now, but also just ha- what your perception is of the sport and basically everything in between. Yeah. I, I actually reckon hunting has shaped a huge um, part of the way I like approach any problem or any task in life. Now, you know, you've got to, plan and execute and you've got lots of challenges along the way you've got to sort of navigate but for me before even getting into hunting I think what opened my eyes up to it was uh, at Tihoi Adventure School like this you're talking back to back these sort of schooling days at the age of 14 um, St Paul put us through that was the school I was going to we, we kind of fractured off you know we were at, we were mm. at primary school and intermediate school together in, in Hamilton and then I went to a high school in Hamilton and you went up to a high school in Auckland but the one that I went to put us through six months at a place called Tihoi Venture School where they kind of like strip you back to the bare essentials and like that's not just for hunting purposes, that's just being able to, you know, fend for yourself. You had to chop wood to, to fuel the, um, the, coal, the coal range stove which gave you hot water. You had to do your own cooking. You had to do all your student-led activities on the weekends. It was real outdoors pursuits type um, curriculum with schooling involved. And so that, at the age of 14, I think really installed that sense of um, outdoor interest for me and problem solving and learning how to read a map and a compass, use a compass and navigate your way through bush and how to read terrain and all of those sort of things at that early age of 14 years old kind of opened up my brain to an outdoor life. And then you just add in the dimension of like game animals, which I guess at the age of Probably eight, nine years old, I was shooting rabbits and hares and stuff like that with a you know, slug gun, pretty much like every single person. We start off on stuff that's small and you work your way up. Around that same age of 14, doing that outdoor pursuit stuff uh, through the school, I started to see animals sign and question what it was. And, you know, one thing led to another. And s- soon enough, my dad had suggested if I'm interested in hunting, joining the New Zealand Deer Stalkers Association. And that's kind of what opened up the hunting avenue. And once I got into that space, it, it really 
that's shaped me into who I am today for sure. Um, there's just something really special and unique about, I think, spending time out in the bush for one, and secondly, having a purpose when you're out there. You know, we're not, and I'm not downplaying people that go for bushwalks, but we're not, we're not, uh, you know, we are participating in nature when you're hunting. You're actively engaged in what you're doing. We're not just walking along the track having a chat, and it's about the kilometres covered and the in the distance and, and seeing these magnificent views. We're, we're seeing the magnificent views, we're assessing sign, we're looking for the game animal that we're pursuing, we're having to take into account all these variables like wind and food preferences and habitat types and all sorts of information that you're like constantly assessing in your brain that that has benefits to other parts of your life, you know, non-hunting related. So I really feel like um, hunting kind of gave me a whole lot of tools in life that are broadly applicable to anything you put your mind to. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it, and then that's a hard thing to sort of, to get across to some people, to, well, not to some people, but just in general, when you're out there doing it and you're um, part of that, you know, the wilderness and you're out there doing, you know, hunting you, it's hard to kind of convey that sometimes to people that, that aren't doing the hunting side of things. Um, it's sort of a, yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a funny one, but I, I get you. I get your drift 100, percent no doubt, because we've shared in plenty of plenty of time in the mountain. That's for sure. Um, and going back to you know talking about those early days of what what sort of spurred your interest in it, and I think we yeah, you're, as you say, we were kind of running parallel lives. I think the outdoors was something that I just gravitated towards. And by the time we sort of came back around and sort of knocked heads again in, in our late teens and, and early university days, it was just sort of mm. like adding fuel to the fire, eh? Like. I think yeah. I can I can actually remember just I remember catching back up at the pub there at the foundry in yeah, Cambria. It's just like we just saw each other started like it just immediately went to the chat about hunting and I think I was I don't know if it was even the next morning. I think it was, I was the next, was the next my, day. I, I can tell you exactly. I was, what I was standing at my letterbox waiting for you to come pick me up and we were just poof, off the hill like we're chasing chasing chamois. But um that that's how sort of like that's how volatile the whole or not the volatile, I guess the volatile, the act of just going, Right, let's go do it. But I think the passion was there like for both of us um, right there from the start and I just teaming up with you was like, yeah, like I said, it was just like adding fuel to a buddy already blazing house. <laughs> it was, I remember because it, it, it was a Saturday, it was a Saturday night at the foundry and you'd been playing rugby for Canterbury, one of your provincial sides that you're representing at the time. And, um, and you were so keen and I was, and I was planning to go for a day hunt the next day that we actually, you, you rocked up. And I remember you had, you had those Dunlop white sand shoes. You didn't even have hunting boots. You just came in Dunlop sand shoes. Me, Anto, and your, and your mate Adam or um, a Maori fellow that came with us. Anyway, and we hunted up the oh, whole yeah. range. That was the first time then. Yeah, I know. That was crazy. I, I didn't even know what I was getting myself into coming from the North Isle and then just suddenly just smashing up through that tree line and, and then um, I just remember Anto letting off a few shots around the corner. And I, I mean, at, at this point, I didn't even know what the hell a chamois looked like. And, um, and yeah, I mean, the rest is history. But like from that, pretty much from that day on, it was, it was like yeah, every, every weekend or every spare sort of moment, it was like, it was the priority basically it was to get out in those mountains with you. Um, and, you know, and like fast forward, we've had, I mean, we'd have, we didn't need, we didn't need three, three hour bloody podcasts to go through all those adventures that we've been on in, in the last little while. But, um, from that from that point in the South Island to, to now, but like fast forward, you know, a handful of years to sort of now, and and you know, you're based in Australia and Western Australia, and, and I'm still back in NZ, but floating back and forth to Tasman quite a bit too, and 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 our new interest has been doing those sort of backcountry adventures for Samba and the Victorian Alps, like um, 
I don't, I'll be honest with you. Like I, I just literally followed your lead on this one. I just remember it being a talking point and something that we were interested in doing. And then next minute I found myself on a flight flying over and we were hooking into Samba and we have done almost every year since. And, you know, like that's been a good 10 years that's gone past since that first initial trip. More. And, and yeah, we both, yeah, more. 2008, mate. Yeah, no, so we've, we've done a lot of time in the Victorian Alps, but it's like, I mean, I, even to this day in this very moment, I still don't know how I found myself in that situation. Like, I know you definitely um, were, were taking the lead on quarterback backing that. Like, what pricked your interest on Samba and what ultimately have in, ended up in us just basically pursuing them almost annually for the last decade? Yeah, look, well, I think first and foremost, uh, I was based in Perth and the best hunting available in Australia, in my opinion, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying other forms of hunting, but you can't beat mountain hunting. And the only place that really offers that in Australia is Victoria. And like when I came yeah. across, you, you, you remember, we chatted a lot because I, I needed you as a sounding board. I struggled in the first few years in Australia. I felt homesick. Um, I was pining for the mountains. You know, I, it was it defined me as a human being. So to come over here where it's flat, it's sandy, you see all the different shades of red, it actually felt like I lost my way a little bit. So for me to have those annual sojourns with you, mate, and, and to come back to New Zealand and hunt with, you know, Dan Curley and, and others um, for those return trips, breathe breathe oxygen and life back into, into my well-being. But Victoria, for me, with those mountains is the closest thing to New Zealand. And inside those Victorian mountains is Samba. So that's how Samba came about. But since getting into it um, and pursuing those those animals in that terrain from 2008 onwards, I've found myself almost feeling like that's that needs to be something I do even when we move back to New Zealand. I want to come back and still hunt Samba in Victoria. It's just so unique. To have an animal yeah. that's just so stealthy and so interesting and difficult to pattern you know there's some attributes about them that make them predictable but then there's so much that that's unpredictable about them they don't have a they don't have a raw per se so when they're in the rut you, you can't call them in so there's that stealth element right there the period at which they can rut um you know ranges from like july through to you know sometime arguably november so there's a real opportunity to hunt them for a large proportion of the year but just so much about them is intriguing so um, and the terrain's awesome too. I mean, you know, we've had our butts kicked in the Victorian Alps. Oh been, yeah. I reckon some of our I reckon some of our harshest hunts, um, those longer sort of backpack hunts, I, I've I reckon are probably have been in Victoria to be honest. Um, and it's just a combination of that weather and and maybe just the, well, it's not a combination of the weather, but the, yeah, the weather is an issue. But but yeah, just the terrain, but but even the even the um the bush itself. And and they generally are like longer. Like the hunts that we have done have been generally longer, like multi multi day hunts. So um, oh yeah, they've definitely well, given us a good hiding. Um, I think I think I think it ties in with the time of year that we go too. You know, like if we're going in August, which is which is really quite a peak snow period in, in winter and it's cold, um, because that's when they're rutting and it's a great time to go because there are less people out. Uh, mm. Probably more increasing now as people get more into samba hunting and backpack hunting. Well, sorry, yeah. backpack hunting. I think lots of Victorians have been into samba hunting, but there seems to be a real strong uptake in the backpack hunting scene. No, I well, I've got people doing it. I've got you to thank for that, to be honest, because I I would have just been happy to be running around the Kaimais and you know having moved back to North and stuff. And that, as you say, it was a sort of time. Yeah, we were getting a bit stale with our trips and our annual sort of South Island hunts was. Were, were awesome but we, it was like kind of the right time to just sort of hook into something new and um 
yeah and it was a big learning curve like anything with a learning curve for me i'm just like into it 100 so it was like mm. it was a good you sort of took the ownership in, in getting us involved in that and now like i said it, it's been something we've done quite regularly um and 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 the reality is we probably i've probably hunted salmon more in australia than i have back home here so um yeah the thing that strikes me with those animals, as you just said, is this, they're such a wily qu- quarry to chase and it makes mm. the hunting even, even more sort of exciting, I guess, for a lack of a better term, like being able to um, sort of pit yourself against an animal like that. It's, you can hunt them in the tops, you can hunt them in the bush, you can hunt them on the river flats, um, mm. you know, long range, like we've been bow hunting them. Like it's, they're really versatile and, and, and the numbers are at a balance where it's, it's not, um, you know, you're not bump, you're not walking over them, but it's there's enough game to kind of keep it, um, you know, keep the interest level up. And then the bloodlines, bloodlines in certain areas are great. You know, you, you can really nab yourself a really quality trophy if that if that sort of thing that spins your dolls. But um, yeah, I'm really I've been really thankful to being you know partnered up with you and do those hunts. And it's been as you say, it's been a good way to kind of catch up annually because I know, you know, life, family, business, you know, work, kids, professions mm-hmm. is sort of like you know we're not. I'm doing as many hunts as we like in a year, but um, those are definitely things I look forward to. Um, I'll come back to, to hunts that we've got in the can and things that we're looking forward to do because there's a whole other story there too. But um, touching, I just touch on archery, and I know I know the last trip we did the, to to Samba Country, and I, and I know you've always given me a bit of shit for carrying around that bow, like on how many hunts we've done since we're bloody twenty. Like um, I might as well, in some cases, carried a bloody broomstick for those 10, 10 12 days, but. Um, I reckon you just you just brought it along for the photos, mate. That was all you brought it along. <laughs> the persistence paid off. Well, sort of has, but like I know, you, I know, I know. There's some of it's rubbed off on you a little bit. It'll be it'll be unfair to say that it hasn't, because I know you probably looked over your shoulder at me, shaking your head as to why the hell I'm wasting my time. But um, I know that in more recent time, you've started to delve back into archery and getting that bow back uh, in your hands. Like, what's your What's your sort of take on on bow hunting now, and and now you've had a little bit of a hiatus and you're back into it? Like, what sort of things you're looking forward to in terms of bow hunting, but also some of the things that you don't necessarily enjoy about, or maybe not necessarily enjoy about the challenges behind just behind bow hunting? Yeah, definitely different. Well, I think I have you to thank for getting into bow hunting from like way back in 2009 on that massive red raw stag <laughs> trip that we did. That that was probably our biggest backpack hunt, and it'll be great to talk about that one at some point. But you brought your bow and ended up shooting that stag with my 2506. But that was yeah. kind of, that was an eye-opener for me, thinking, oh, yeah, bow hunting looks like it's a challenge. And I actually bought a bow the following year in 2010 and started hunting with it and shot a few animals here at WA and then kind of put it down because the interactions or the encounters, sorry, were too few and the success rate was too low. And rightly or wrongly, at that point in time, I was writing for the New Zealand Hunters magazine. And of course, magazines want to sell content. And in a hunting magazine, that content, you know, the transaction is an animal or a story to, sh- to share. So um, I felt like I needed to go back to the rifle because I just didn't have content coming in as regularly because bow hunting is harder. There's yeah. no doubt, there is no doubt that bow hunting is a harder challenge than rifle hunting. And it's not yeah. downplaying rifle hunters but it is really giving respect and kudos, I think, to bow hunters. So, you know, I went away from the bow, and the reason I came back to the bow was if you take back to 2016, where uh, we went on that uh, Victorian Hunters Club Snowy River episode. Oh, yeah. you know, I took you into, into Samba Country and David came along. <clears throat> yeah, and we, we did that five days or whatever it was, backpack hunting in Victoria um, with that hellish climb out. It was that trip when you shot your, you arrowed your stag with your bow that really made me 
actually think, you know, I should get the bow back out again. And then it was like, it was almost re, you know, ingrained in my mind when we did that samba hunt together where I actually got to witness you. And it was 2018, I think it was, in winter, when you snuck in on that samba hind and you shot that hind and I was with you. I filmed it. I put it on YouTube. I filmed it. And just watching you do that and seeing that whole hunt play out, because usually we're split up, you know, with the bow and a rifle. You can't afford to hunt with another person. You want to min minimise your... Uh, noise and, and stay stealth so to be with you on that occasion it was like i'm definitely getting back into the bow um and to be honest man i'd love i'd love it if we can do some bow hunts together and i know we had elk planned for this year which may or may not go ahead and that's going to be an archery hunt over the counter um over in, in idaho i can't wait for the moment where, where you get to see me shoot my first animal with a bow i'll be uh i'll be i'll be so stoked to see you chop down an animal with that with that arrow and that uh, and that bow it'll be it'll be definitely a milestone for me and and uh, my hunting career or all the years that I've hunted with you it'll be great to see you to um to actually witness you I mean I know you've shot a few with, with the bow but like actually witness you like we did with that samba I'll have to put a little clip up of, of that um what Jamie's talking about there it was kind of a unique scenario like having two of you sort of you know stalking in on an animal and getting within sort of 30 40 meters and sort of sending an arrow and literally being able to like look over your shoulder and go oh, you know and sort of high five like that was a real I'll, I'll definitely remember that moment for a long time and um and like it was no trophy or any sort of animal of note but it was like just the just the process of of being able to do do that and witness it with, with one of your mates was pretty was pretty cool yeah. um yeah and and yeah i mean I, I i i'm keen to do to do more archery hunts and yeah we'll have to see how things pan out with this with this elk hunt that we were going to do this year but um mm. yeah it's sort of like COVID's sort of stuffing everybody at the moment, but um, you know, maybe it'll it'll happen in the US or at home. But I think I think one of the next hunts we do, whether it's in New Zealand or, or back home, I think we're, you're definitely going to be going solo archery for sure. And we'll um, we'll, I'll be definitely waiting with that camera to try and capture you knocking mm. one of those animals over with the bow. But like you know, it's it's whether it's the bow or the rifle. Oh, yeah. For for a lot of people, it can be um. It's not one of those things you can go, you can kind of get in and out of it. But I, I don't know, I try to stay the course and sort of stick with it. But in, in saying that, I still hunt with a rifle when it's necessary. And species like Rusa, for instance, I still haven't, I mean, I haven't even got anywhere near one with a bow. So um, I'm still hunting them with a rifle. But um, yeah, I think that, I think that's the, I think that's the ultimate draw card, though, as a, as a hunter that kind of evolves. I mean, hunting whether you like it or not, it's, it's an evolving sport. And over time, as you get more experienced, you make changes to what you do for, mm. for whatever the reasons are. And I think a common yeah. thing is for people to start, you know, when you start off, you want to shoot everything. And then that includes, um, well, it's anything. You want to shoot anything that you can and get that experience up. But as you get more experienced, I think that desire to want to take an animal gets less and less. And therefore you start introducing other things like maybe you, you hunt new terrain, you, you hunt, new species, you maybe use different equipment, mm. you might go to the bow yeah. because you want that challenge. So I think as you progress in your experience level, um, you you make some tweaks and refinements and take on more challenges. And, and for me, you know, backpack hunting offers the ultimate challenge, but to then backpack hunt with a bow, I think really, or a traditional bow, I mean, that's just taking it to another level altogether, yeah, is, is, is the sort of thing that I, I yearn for. And I know you're in the same boat. You know, we, we love... The big challenges, you know, we love to look at a big mountain range and seek some kind of solace in that we're going to saddle through that saddle 
could maybe even settle over the next catchment and be two ranges in. Yeah, yeah. For an animal. Um, yeah, it's a funny one, eh? Because I that's what I that's kind of our bread and butter, and that's stuff we've done for years. And I know in more recent time of the show, it's been a tough one for me because it's those hunts I can't necessarily do with the with the camera crew and with guys like Dave because it's a pretty arduous and the time it takes to do those trips you can't necessarily record it all the battery issues and a whole bunch of other things and and uh you know effectively excuses that I'm making up that we're not that I don't do those hunts as much as I'd like to but um yeah I cut those are my that's my yardstick because I'm like that that's how I measure my experiences in the mountains and and in the hills is against those trips that we used to do and um, yeah. There is a little bit of a uni, but one of the things to go back to Arch, one of the things that I really look forward to and kind of crave, it's, this might sound a little bit weird, but like it's the, um, it's that last moment of being within, you know, 40 to 30 meters or even closer proximity to the game that you're chasing and being able to like knock an arrow and have that, see that whole process come to fruition and be able to execute that. Like I, I know that sounds really weird and probably a little bit like crazy, but I, I really crave that moment. Yeah, you just like that. That's what I crave a lot these days. And it doesn't matter whether it's a big stag or or or, or it's a yearling. Like I, I, I just love being in that in that moment. <laughs> like it kind of kind of just goes blank, and I kind of crave I kind of crave that too. Um, I was just bow hunting well, the other day. And, with and, bow hunting, I mean those moments that you're just reflecting on are so few and far between that. Mm. Uh, you know, like put it this way, with, with a rifle, you know, you have more frequent encounters where you're inside a range where you've got the choice to make a shot or not. With bow hunting, yeah. you know, it might be months or years, or in your case, it took you, I don't know how many years it took you to get your first chamois, and you had lots of oh. close encounters, but not enough to be within that 40 meter range. So I think your senses, and, and I'm not an experienced bow hunter, but from what I've done, I totally agree with you that the sensation and your heightened senses. Um, when you start to close into a, a killable and ethically killable distance is second to none. But that's, I think that's heightened by the fact that there's, you know, there's a long time between those moments, yeah. which makes those moments yeah. more special. Yeah, you're right. But it's, it, it, there's that. And it's just the, I don't know, it's just sort of like this heightened focus moment, you know, like it, like I said, you, everything sort of goes to kind of silent and it's just you and I'm only, and I can, I can remember every step in the process to the point where that arrow goes, but everything else outside of it, I just can't even remember it. It's just, the, but I can remember the exact part of like knocking the arrow, you know, like I can remember the whole process from once the arrow gets knocked to full draw and releasing the arrow. I can remember that. And I kind of craved that a little bit. And that, that Samba that we shot together with the bow, like that, that I can, I can recall that like it was yesterday. And I, I was just, I just shot a stag the other day um, with the bow and I can recall that mo that very moment, but I can't even remember you. I can't even, I can't remember you. I can't remember what was leading up to that point. All I can remember is that moment being in that very moment. And I kind of crave that um, a little bit in addition to the big, the big sort of multi-day trips. But, you know, as I said before, we've got kids and family and businesses and, and whatnot. And those are not as frequent as they used to be, but they still, you know, they're still definitely on the, on the cards for us to do here and there. Um, I know I'm going to sort of switch tact a little bit here and, and sort of move away from archery and Samba and, and talk to you about like, um, I don't think maybe a lot of people do know, but not, not a lot of people do know like about your sort of arm wrestling background and, and, uh, and, and the fact that you, that you are and have been for a long time, um, one of the sort of top elite arm wrestlers in, in, in the Australasian uh, Pacific region, um, formerly being the, the, the top 90 kilo plus uh, right and left arm arm wrestler. You might correct me if I'm wrong there, but like, how did you find yourself doing that stuff? And 
And how have you found that, that doing the fitness and the strength work that's required to do that, and how has it maybe potentially impacted your hunting? Well, I think, I think if, you've seen, if you've seen the arms, if any of you have seen the arms on this guy, he's carrying a few extra kilos around the mountain when he's in when he's in peak arm wrestling condition. That's for sure. I was going to say, I think that the way it's impacted on my hunting is that I'm carrying more weight than what I ever used to when I was, you know, at uni with you, footing the hills at, at dripping wet, 82 kilos. And but you know, in terms of arm wrestling, the way I got into it, I was into arm I could wrestling. Have fueled, could have fueled you on a muesli bar for three, three or four days, and you would have been good. Yeah, no, I was lean, but strong though. Like I've always been strong, and that's probably why I've been good at arm wrestling. Um, you don't have to be a big muscle head to be good at arm wrestling. It's more about ligaments and tendons and mm. technique and speed than than strength. But when you have strength and the other elements, then you're a weapon. Um, but I, I loved arm wrestling all the way through school and uni, and like. But, you know, it always ended with an arm wrestle at bars, either for someone else's drinks or a set or score, yeah. or, or, or even sometimes when I'd get kicked out of a bar and I'd say, I, I I'll claim it, I'll claim it right here and right now. I remember being on the West Coast and I think Bruce Dando was flying us in, and I remember we got, we got rained out. We were in the pub there, and on the record, I beat the Australian 90 kilo champion in his right arm, fair and square, just so that everybody knows that. And the context to that is I flew the full night before and had Hawani's party the day after that. So for 36 hours, I hadn't slept. That's why I was sitting there on that couch when you guys were talking, just dozing in and out. And then you took me to the bar. Hey, mate, I was, at that, I was at that party too. But yeah, and no, I got you at your weakest point. No, take it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's true. But, um, but look, I think uh, that competitive nature that we both have, which is probably why long before hunting, even at school when we were growing up, we had a real uh, commonality and we shared some similar views um, in sport, yeah. whether it was athletics or rugby or tennis, because we both played tennis as well. But I just think that competitive nature um, and focusing, and for me, like I never do anything by half. So I've always, I've, I've always either been one thousand percent in on something to the point where it's obsessive, or I'm not interested. Yeah. Jamie's like, if, if there's anybody driving something and if he's got his teeth sunk into it, like, it's going to happen. I, I reckon you're probably the most dedicated person I know to the point of, of, of definite, definite obsession. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right about competitiveness and just, I, I wouldn't even, probably not maybe a competitive, but like, yeah, you're very focused on, on getting stuff done and it's definitely held you in good stead, whether it's hunting or arm wrestling or school or work or uni, you've definitely been, you're either... Um, you're either balls deep or you're not even involved or not interested. So I kind of commend yeah. that because I try and take a bit of a bit of that in my life at, at times too. But um, yeah, you, you definitely got that locked down as being able to sort of divert all your attention to one thing to, um, to come out on top. Um, and, and like I said, being a, being an arm wrestling champ and, that, that focus has probably come from things you probably learned from the, from being in the mountains too. And, and absolutely, mate. absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's circular. It's definitely um, circular. You know, like some of the trips that we've endured and, and I'll use, uh, you know, and I won't say locations, but some of those Canterbury high country and West coast saddling type trips, we've started on the East coast, gone over to the West coast and come back to the East coast and mm. endured, you know, tens of kilometers. And, and if not, hundreds of kilometres over the duration of that two-week uh, or one-week hunt. You know, there's a lot of character yeah, resilience that those trips bring about on yourself. You know, we, you and I yeah. are both uh, going through our own personal journey and quest of our 
abilities and you know at times not even talking to each other but we're both in our control rooms focusing on what the task is and I take that same method of focusing on what the task is into whatever I choose to commit to and I say commit to because I really feel like you know to do something proper you've really just got to either be all in or 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 don't bother because yeah. there's no point tittering around so for me that's probably one of the challenges that I've got is that I I've got to balance my lifestyle and I'm not that great at, at doing things by hard. So if I've got too many things going on at the time, like arm wrestling, hunting, fishing, um, you know, work life, being a father, all that stuff, you've got to try and juggle those balls. And they're really important balls to juggle. And I struggle to juggle those. So that's actually one of the downsides of my personality. But the upside is when I do decide to commit to something, I'll do my best. It might not be the best, but I'll do my best. No, I, I can definitely vouch for that. Um, and, and reliability is another thing that comes to mind is that you, you know, you're not going to, uh, you know, it's probably something, especially if they're looking for someone that you're going to hunt with a long term, eh? like it, you want someone that's reliable, um, just that, that, that personality too. Cause when, when they're going get stuff or you find yourself in an emergency situation, you want that person to be able to lean on too, um, in a hunting sense. And so like I've, I've always felt pretty comfortable knowing that you'd go the extra mile if I like I don't know, broke my freaking leg. I know you'd walk the length of the Perth River just to go and get bloody a helicopter or some of that or, or something. So I think yeah. I think that's probably one thing that I've always sort of relished and, and um appreciated in you is that ability to kind of like throw all not throw caution in the wind but 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 you know, be comfortable that, you know, like if the going gets tough and, and things are gonna go sideways and, and you there's a sort of a shared ownership there of like, you know, you're gonna get your mate out of it or you're gonna be able to do the right thing. So that's something I definitely value and have done for, for, for a long time. Um, but actually, on that note, that, that, that reminds me of that time when you got delirious in summer <laughs> when we were hunting. We did that massive oh. hunt through the tops oh. and then you spotted those pigs down low and you went all the way I down. Was I was telling, I finally, I was telling, um, I was telling Marty Very from, from Red Stag Timber just like literally a couple of days about that. I think I'm just, and I, when I look at it now, like how stupid that was, is that we'd spend all day, like literally 12 hours of the day to get to camp from the bottom of the valley. And then I've decided, no, nah, I'm going to drop that whole, that whole volume of ascent back down to river level to go and shoot a couple of pigs for the, for the pot. And I, I, I think, I think, yeah, well, I don't think, I don't even remember what the hell happened. All I remember no, is waking up. I can tell you, I can tell you what happened. It was in summertime, so it was quite hot and we'd been, We'd already worked through all of our water to get up high and we were just set up camp. Literally, I just set up camp and we started glassing and spotted these deer down low. And we were actually targeting red stags, but anyway. And then you, um, I, 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 to be honest, said, I don't think it's worth going down there uh, because you won't get up before dark. And you said, I don't, I don't know what care. I was thinking. I honestly didn't know what I was So you took the rifle down. And I sat up on top of the longest scree on, I reckon, Canterbury. It went down for like 1.5 kilometres all the way to the bottom. You got down, I watched you. It looked like you took about 20 this steps and you at the bottom because you could just do these big jumps. And you at the bottom and then I had the two-way radio, so I kind of just radioed you in. And you got all the way to them, shot them both, you gutted them, and then you started to carry them back. And then you got to the bottom of the scree. And by this stage, it was twilight. And I was like, well... You know, Andre's not going to be up here for a couple of hours. And you started making your way up, and it just looked like you're on a conveyor belt of going nowhere. And then, and then you just started to talk absolute nonsense. And you hadn't had a drink. You didn't even have a drink when you got down to the bottom of the screen. 
crossing that river to go onto those flats to shoot the pigs and you didn't have a drink on the way back. So your brain and your body was severely <laughs> dehydrated. And that's, oh, that's when I realized no. I've got to pack up camp and bring, bring the key essentials down to you. And by the time I got to you, you were actually in fetal position. Um, and it was concerning. I had to get, I had to get glucose back into you and water and then you kind of came around and then the next morning I had to go up and grab camp, and bring it all down. But, um, yeah, it was, it's an example of what not to do on summer hunts. Yeah, I mean, just, I guess, young and dumb and too keen, I guess is probably the answer there. And, and um, I, I, like I said, I don't, I don't remember, I don't even re recall actually shooting the pigs. I, I, I just, I can remember the walk out that day because we had to cut the whole hunt short. Uh, I remember our, our, yeah. our main focus was to get into that catchment yeah. and like we spend the rest of the four days. We, we only just, we just got to base camp one to make our <laughs> approach on this big climb. And I just, decided that there's a tongue in me i need to go and get these bloody pigs but and, and and we were fit i mean like like it's not it wasn't a question of our fitness it was just dehydration a it was the main thing is not managing your, your fluid levels on a trip like that it will, will literally come back to bite you and uh and, and and yeah just underestimating um what the impact of that is in combination with how how arduous some of that terrain is i mean if i just like right now it's an easy it's an easy thing to think about it's like it took us 12 hours to climb there it certainly wasn't going to take me under an hour to get back up like it's it was totally yeah. off the wall but it was you know Andre, it, was actually, it was actually about a 16 hour day because i remember we start like pretty much in all our hunts we started before it was light we'd park the car on dark which this is in summertime so it's like 4 a.m 5 a.m one of the and, things and, and I remember. By the, time, by the time I got down to you, it was like nearly 9.30 um, after it had got dark, peak summer. One of the things that I remember the most was just how burnt I was. And the, I think we're just bashing through just miles and miles of monkey scrub on that tree line. And there was just that broom stuff. And my quads were just like literally, it's like I'd been flogged with a whip. It was just like my whole, all my legs were raw. But that's about as far as I remember. I don't even, I can't even remember. I remember putting up the fly and then that's about it. And then the walk out, like the long walk out on the, on the flats to get back out to the vehicles. But yeah, but I mean, like I said, I mean, like I said, we're sort of giving an example of what not to do on hunts, but, but there was definitely learnings that we took away from, from something as stu stupid as that. Um, and, and, you know, even, even in some of those winter conditions, some of the hypothermic situations we've been in and, and, you know, falls and injuries that we've managed to get ourselves out of. But I think it's like an accumulation of experiences that you can put together at a later date, like now and say, Oh, I'm definitely not doing that next time. I do notice one thing that's changed being older now is that, um, I'm, I'm way less gung ho, especially in steeper country now. Like I'm way more reserved. Like I'd just be like, Oh, there's an ice sheet. Yeah, no worries. Get up there. But nowadays I, there's probably two things. You don't actually need to do that kind of crazy stuff to obtain your game. And, uh, secondly, you probably don't need to put yourself in that kind of, at that kind of risk. So, I agree uh, for all, the, all the guys I, agree. <laughs> don't, I wouldn't recommend half the stuff that we used to do just because of probably more just we were learning just learning um probably the hard way i guess whereas now i love it when guys ask about stuff that and you can kind of provide a bit of insight and say oh you know that that catchment don't don't go this way go that way because you're going to be bluffed out at this point or you know you, you can provide a bit of advice on how to sort of hold yourself and in, uh, in good regard on the hill rather than finding and finding yourself in some of those silly situations that we used to but not very often but the odd one that you'd probably tell around the fireplace with a with a whiskey in hand type scenario but um but you know as, as we said like things have changed like our lives have changed and what we do has changed um and in both in our families and business and work and life and hunting like um 
with that change um, comes sort of like new ways to invigorate the hunt and, uh, and, and the trips that we do. Like, what do you, I know you've got stuff cooking in the background and I've got things that I'm thinking about and like, what are some of the things that, that you think you'd like to see us do in the next sort of couple of years, if not um, for the rest of our lives, um, sort of things that would chase. Oh, I know yeah. America's, America's definitely on, on the hit list for us and we, we, we literally, knocking on the, on, the, on the back door of going and doing that trip but, but pending COVID we may not potentially get to do that but that's mm. definitely on the horizon like you can scratch that one off the list elk and, uh, and archery elk and over the counter in the US anything else that you sort of you got cooking in the back wings there? Yeah well I think I think coming back to your point around you know the challenges and the you know the commitments with family and work you've got these sort of windows in the year that you can do these types of hunts so like for me planning it well in advance just allows you to be able to go out and, and actually execute it to the best of your abilities and sometimes you come out with success other times you don't but there's a long time between trips to plan and we've been planning this elk hunt um a lot since what like well, two years ago we, we you and i made the pact to do this elk trip for 2020 back in 2018 oh we're, we're invested we're in with tags in and bloody planes book flights book so we yeah yeah, yeah. We, we're, we're down the rabbit hole but yeah i mean it's a bit of a yeah. funky one. It's a bit of a weird one given the current climate. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's an obvious one, eh? So that, that, that's probably the biggest trip that's planned with a whole heap of planning behind it. And, you know, we've got our detailed spreadsheet. You know, the way that we arrived at that mutual location was really collaborative. And, you know, like we took into account what types of uh, terrain we wanted to hunt, what the sort of class bulls were like, what the population, the ratio, the bull ratio. All, we, we took into account like 11 criteria to arrive at that. And so that one's definitely going to just stay simmering until we can actually light that one up. But, you know, I want to come back and do some more hunts back in New Zealand. You know, I haven't really chased red stags for a long time. And I'm not yeah, sure we're overdue, why. We're overdue, a good, we're overdue a good red stag hunt, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, um, don't get me wrong. I love chasing red stags and I love chasing them in the Southern Alps. Um, but may, maybe Samba kind of sort of fulfilled that, that mm. for me in, in Victoria. Uh, or maybe it's just that it's the time required to fly to New Zealand means that I essentially lose a day on each side of a hunt, and I don't mm. want to do that. I want to maximise it. So New Zealand kind of got parked for a long time, and maybe also Waro and Wild Animal Recovery and uh, 1080 stuff maybe got me down on New Zealand for a while. So that's why I haven't done a, a red stag hunt, but I want to pick that back up and come back and do um, something back in New Zealand, Southern Alps, probably West Coast somewhere. And yeah, I'm, the keen idea do, I'm keen to do a good, I'm keen to do an epic. I'm keen to do a good seeker seeker hunt with you, eh? Like a, a sort of a good walking sort of you know plus five day hunt where we oh, yeah. sort of get into get into some seeker country. I think that'll be definitely on the on the hit list. I'd like to do, but yeah, red stags. Like we're definitely overdue a South Island high high alpine red stag hunt. And and we were just talking about the other day. We've got def, we've got a hunt in plan that's been in play for like I don't know how long, but we just haven't executed it. So. That one's almost turnkey, and I can see that one turning out quite good for us if we uh, play the weather right and we get, you know, we get um, we can get into that some of that country that we were looking to hunt. I think that'll be a good one. I mean, I can't talk about locations, but but yeah, um, but no, that one's I'm looking forward one. to that. Um, well, but yeah, I'm doing a doing a good North Island sort of tops hunt with you would be good, like either in the Rohinis or or, or yeah, definitely chasing Seeker. That'll be great. I think that I think we've got we've got we don't really have a lot of um, we haven't done a lot of miles up there together. I mean, I have done and no. you've done sort of separately, but it'll be good to go do a yeah. backpack kind of there, I reckon. Yeah, uh, actually, um, you know what? From from the age of seventeen or eighteen, um, 
I've got this route mapped out that I've never done, and I've still I've still got it. It's, it's written into it a, a lot. It's, it's written into my diary with all the coordinates for camp. It's on a map that's actually got the sort of etchings of the locations that we'd camp. It's a really cool route that will take. I reckon five days is what I estimated, and it's probably less now that we're all thinner mm. and stronger. But to do the country justice, I reckon five days is about oh, right to backpack hunt your way in and out. Um, I think so. So that yeah, that for me is. You know, that for me, I'd love to pick that one up and do that at some point. But, for, like, oh, I don't know, it's probably like you, Andre. There's so many places that I haven't been to in New Zealand yet that I want to get to. So there's just a mm. backlog of potential hunting opportunities. Yeah. And it just comes down to time and priority and what the weather's doing that helps you choose where you go. And, you know, you keep some of those locations up as a backup plan. But um, I don't think I'll ever hunt the long list of places I want to hunt in my entire life. Um, yeah, no, I, th I agree. I was sort of more sort of trying to scratch you, scratch you on, on some hunts that we, that we look forward to do, but like we, we kind of know what we'd like to do. But as you say, there's just so much, I mean, there's so many, so many trips that, we, that you could do. And it's sort of like almost like I'd love to wind back the clock when we were in our twenties again and just have all that time where you didn't have any obligations or anything. You could just yeah. pack up the ute and go and, uh, and well, go I'd and do that. Do I'd love to do, I'd love, sorry to cut you off there, I'd love to do Fjordland, and we were supposed to do Fjordland twice in our lives to the same block, believe it or not. 2006, crazy, yeah. 2006, as the party leader, I submitted our team for that, and we got the Mount Longsight block um, for Wapiti, and then again in 2018? 16, 17, oh yeah, just recently. Like, just like, recently, like, we got it again. Yeah, you yeah. and I got that just as a party of two. Um, yeah. And for... For reasons that I won't go into, we didn't do those trips together. I did one of those trips back in 2006, and it was a cracker of a trip. Did it with George Spence, Stephen Vanderpoel, yeah. Matt Rice, Wendy, and another guy called. I, I, I really—that's one of the trips I look back on and just man, I just—I can't even. I—I I think it might have been rugby. I can't even remember, but I just for whatever reasons I couldn't make that trip. And yeah, uh, yeah it's one of those ones I look back. And I'm just like, oh man, I wish but I had out of all yeah, Fjordland's definitely one that I'd like to do with you, and uh, mm. Stewart Island. I'm so I'm so inspired and motivated by some of those Hunters Club videos that Tim Tim mainly has done. Um, you know, broadcasting the the type of hunting and the the different yeah. the different way of life down there on Stewart Island. I find that. Oh know, man, I've been I've been I've been on the schedule to go down with Timmy for the last probably since the inception of the show and same thing I've, for whatever reason it hasn't played out and I've, I, I haven't been able to make it or I, I've been um, I've, well, yeah, I just haven't been able to get down there to do the trips with them but um, and this year is probably looking like the same for me I'm probably not going to be able to make it down and, and but it'll hopefully get hopefully get, uh, get down to Stuart Island because it's just this type of hunting and terrain and species that I haven't well both you and I haven't spent a lot of time chasing so I'll, I'll be keen to put that on the list for sure yeah. and um, there's another there's another trip too that um I know we've discussed in the past, but it's like about a 10-day backpack trip into a really remote catchment in the West Coast for tar, bull tar. And I've never really mm. been massive into bull tar. I've mainly been interested in chamois and, and red deer. Um, but I would like to do a, a remote trip totally off track, bashing our way into country that will just feel like, you know, you're going into terrain that's not pressured. Well, it's probably pressured by yeah. the, the heli haze. It's all about country. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean those. So, yeah, though, sorry, I'll keep cutting you off. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I think it just it always comes down to 
you know, the ability to balance and juggle on, and you get one big trip a year, or I do anyway, um, it's hard to fit it all in, but, you know, you just, you keep looking at yeah. maps and you keep working out new new hunt plans, and, and I think that's what keeps us healthy and looking forward to that next adventure. Yeah, I was I was going to, I was going to um, sort of finish on, or just sort of the, the last sort of moments of this short interview is like, go back to, um, you know, what we've talked about, you know, these hunts that we, that we potentially want to do. And, um, and one of the things that stuck out of me are the hunts that we have done and the ones that we are looking to, to do, to, to do in the future is like, you know, the whole sort of media side of things, like the, the world's changed. Like when we were doing this as teens and twenties and stuff like that, there wasn't, I mean, you were always a guy with the, with the old camcorder in your hand and documenting everything. And I was terrible at it. I just was happy with a few photos and sort of got on with it, but you were always very, sort of meticulous and capturing and recording everything, which is, it's played out great because nowadays we can look back on a lot of that footage and we can reminisce on things that like literally down to the details and I've got, got you to thank for it. Um, and going forward, looking forward into some of the hunts we want to do is like now we've got the abilities to sort of wade in together and capture stuff on film ourselves and we have done in the recent time with, with these Samba trips. I've still yet to put, you know, you beat me to the punch, but you put a lot of the stuff, content on YouTube now and I, I've still got, edit sitting in the bloody on my computer that'll probably never get touched but um i'm happy for you to, to to send that out to the world but like with that with that in that in mind talking about videoing and capturing stuff like that do you feel compelled now to do more of that you know like now that you you know if you haven't for those that don't know james got a youtube channel and he puts up a lot of his hunts that he does in more recent time he does a bloody good job of it um do you feel compelled to do more of that is it something you're interested in doing as you hunt or is it just a it almost goes yeah, hand in a, hand. To that's a real, it's a really, a really interesting question because, I, I mean, I've always, like you said, started out from 15 years old when my hunting mentor, and I think I should mention him openly, Stan Lowe uh, from the New Zealand Deer Stalkers Association and the Tauranga branch, he took me under his wing and mentored me. And one of the things he said to me, among many things that um, I've uh, you know, embraced in my hunting career, is make sure you take photos and document what you do because I've, had 40 years of hunting and I've got only a few photos to share and you know it's 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 a it's a tragedy to have a hunting career that misses out on being able to capture these moments in time so I took that literally and took cameras uh, on every single trip and photographed you know sometimes maybe over the top but just felt like I was capturing the hunt so I've got albums full of thousands of photos and then we went digital so they're on on a computer now and then I think, yeah, you're right. I got into filming in those university days because I wanted that record to be more realistic because photos is great, but, you know, people can talk crap about what they did in a photo, but the filming actually shows what happened. And so I have enjoyed filming and been doing that recently for YouTube, uh, primarily just because I've always been one to want to share and, and promote uh, this wonderful sport that we've got. And I've been proud of it. I'm, I, don't, I don't shirk from the fact that I'm a hunter and will happily talk to anyone about why I think hunting is a good thing. Um, so yeah, I do enjoy sharing it. I'm not, I'm, not, um, I'm not driven to do it or I'm not doing it to receive, like I'm not doing it for financial reasons. I'm just happy to share the content. Um, am I driven to share more of it in the future? Um, I do. I do want to keep sharing it or capturing it, whether I share it or not. It's up to up to my time and availability to edit. But at the moment, I'm still enjoying editing. I think the challenge for me, though, is that when you hunt and film, especially if you're self-filming, um, it's a it's a distraction. It's kind of something that 
the, the, detracts you from what you're trying to achieve. And so at times I find that balancing act of, you know, talking maybe to the camera at key times where I just shouldn't even be talking to the camera or filming when perhaps I should be paying more attention. You know, that that's a yeah. challenge. And at times I get frustrated and think, man, I'm doing too much filming. I need to do less <laughs> filming. But then you have a great a great morning and you, you, you harvest something where you see an animal and your camera's buried in your bag. And then you're like, oh, I'm not unable to show that. And so it's really hard. So, I mean, yeah, I guess you guys balance, get right? around it. Yeah, you probably have the same challenges um, with your guys. Yeah, well, I, I probably don't do myself any favours because now I've got, you know, like with Dave and, and the crew sort of in tow, like they're kind of doing all that and I can still still sort of focus on the hunt, but it's still, um, it's different because you, you're you having to cater for the, for, for them, whereas if, 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 if you're just by yourself, especially in a bow hunting sense, you just do the thing and just, you wouldn't even say anything, you just go and do it or there wouldn't be any deliberation about how this is going to happen and you just go and get, do the, the most direct effective thing to to get the outcome whereas with the film with filming it can be challenging with a crew but then as you say by with when you're actually doing self-filming and you're doing it yourself it can be a distraction in its in its in its own yeah. right and um and i'm not I'm, i mean I'm, I'm a terrible for like i don't know how many hunts i've done i've carried around that bloody that bloody uh 5d and other ca you know multiple cameras and like they barely come out out of the bag so whereas you're probably way more proactive and you're you're able to capture bits and pieces and and I'm always happy to let you sort of like take the back seat. But I think on the next few hunts, I'll, I might try and document you in more, in, in more detail. And I'll just take the back seat and slip in there when the, when the big, when the big elk comes in bugling and I'll just chop them down with that bloody 125 grain. <laughs> yeah. Well, you need to start practicing your bugling, mate. I, I haven't seen you doing much bugling and practicing. It's going to, we're going to get to the field and it's going to be like, I'll be calling in you these big bull elks and then you'll get a chance to call me one and then you'll be calling in these raghorns. I'll just be seeker calling them in. But um, yeah, that'll be, that, that was the plan from the start, mate. I'll just let you do all the donkey work and I'll just be slipping them. Well, I don't know how to get one away. But, um, but yeah, that, that's been an interesting journey for recent times is like trying to capture more on film. But it's, yeah, it's hard, eh? Like it's hard trying to do all that and hunt and trying to focus because as, as we said, like at times sort of precious and, you can lose like I literally when I'm off the hill, I'm like boom, straight back into work and business and all the other crap. And so I'm um, often don't have time to sit down and like start editing. Whereas you're like, you, you'll start till bloody the wee hours of the morning, like making up a clip to put on YouTube, which is, which is, yeah, is, is great. Cause I kind of live through them a little bit. Um, and it's great that you're still able to share all that stuff with, with, with everybody. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Jimmy, because I know you're, you've got meetings and stuff this afternoon for work. Cause we're all working remotely at the moment too. And uh, likewise with me, but, um, just to finish on, you know, a couple minutes. Um, what do you, what have you got out there for the for the up and comer new sort of new hunter that's really sort of probably probably get a few questions out of this maybe little podcast is like how do they get into it, um, and some of the things to do that you wish you did when you were starting out in the in your hunting sort of journey, like even a couple of sort of tidbits that you'd you'd offer up a, a new hunter and, and direction to sort of head in terms of getting himself out in the hills and chasing some deer or, or pigs or whatever it might be. Mm. Well, I think I was fortunate that I, I fell into um, what I think was the perfect recipe. You know, I joined the New Zealand Deerstalkers Association in Tauranga, the local branch. I met Stan Lowe, who was a very experienced deerstalker that, that was willing to give me the time and mentor me. So joining the club opened up opportunities to hunt with people that know what they're doing and having someone that can mentor you. If anyone out there that's getting into hunting that knows either a cousin, a brother, a parent, uh, you know, a friend, 
uh, an uncle that's into hunting that that has got the time to offer to someone that wants to learn. I think take them up on what well, I see if they can take you up on it. Even a couple of sort of tidbits that you'd you'd offer up uh, a new hunter and, and direction to sort of head in terms of getting himself out in the hills and chasing some deer or, or pigs or whatever it might be. Mm. Well, I think I, I was fortunate that I I fell into. Um, what I think was the perfect recipe. You know, I joined the New Zealand Deer Stalkers Association in Tauranga, the local branch. I met Stan Lowe, who was a very experienced deer stalker that, that was willing to give me the time and mentor me. So joining the club opened up opportunities to hunt with people that know what they're doing and having someone that can mentor you. If anyone out there that's getting into hunting that knows either a cousin, a brother, a parent, uh, you know, a friend, uh, an uncle that's into hunting, that that has got the time to offer to someone that wants to learn, I think take them up on, or well, see if they can take you up on a, on a hunting trip somewhere, even if it's just on private land or public land. But being able to learn in the field with someone that knows what they're doing is going to help shave off lots and lots of time later and having to learn that stuff yourself. I think there's, there's some great things to be had with learning out of your own, you know, doing and, and hunting yeah. on your own and learning through your own mistakes and, hardships but if you can help with someone that does know what they're doing it'll help shorten that learning that learning curve and then it's just about a matter of having the time to put into going out and practicing what you're learning you know put the yeah. skills that you're trying to apply into practice by going out into places like the Kaimais I mean I, I grew up around the Kaimais the Kaimais is not exactly a great hunting area but it, it was a platform for me to harness my bush stalking skills um, mm. and uh, and get meat animals. So I think anywhere where there's some wild animals, put some time to it and you'll improve and get better. And then you start to, you know, then you can start to embark on some of these bigger journeys where you're planning a backpack hunt. And and we talk, we talk about backpack hunts here, but for us growing up, really it was just hunting and you just happened to go onto public land, which meant you were away for several days and you slept in a tent. Um, it was, there was nothing really... There was nothing really out of the norm with what that was, no. but, but 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 people have defined. There's adventure. It. There's the adventure, you know, like it's the adventure. Yeah. Whether it's just down the back of the farm, or it's dock land, or it's the back of the wilderness zones in the country, like it's it's an adventure that um, that I guess the, the people that are new to it or, or wanting to get into it, it's it's all out there waiting for you. And I think that's pretty sound advice. As to I, I probably your first portal calls you. You know, Deer Stalkers Association, but yeah, it is hard for those guys that don't have the contacts to sometimes, especially from a metropolitan area, but that's probably um, the best best uh, port of call. Um, like I said, I don't want to take up too much of time. We've, we'll probably wrap it on and we could do talk for hours and hours here just endlessly about hunting and some of the stuff that we've got up to. And, and I will definitely get you back on for more pointed stuff um, and, and go down other sort of rabbit, rabbit warrens of uh, discussion. But I think this is a pretty good sort of yarn to have with you as a, as a, as a first pass. But um, for those of you that, that uh, yeah, want to find out what Jamie's 